right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here. We are going to play an uh, interview here shortly with uh, Wright Thompson from ESPN, longtime Augusta attendee. Uh, stories forever. We've done, you know, we got a lot of different aspects of our Masters preview. None of this is going to have to do with who's going to win this week or golf shots or really anything like that. Uh, but I promise you will enjoy this. Got a ton of perspective from Wright. Uh, on what Augusta means to him and what that event has meant for his family. And uh, I, I love this. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Before we do get started, I want you guys to, I know you, we're trying to kill time before Thursday comes around. Uh, it's going to be a lot of Masters overload and content. Go to CallawayGolf.com slash Muni. It is a love letter to the game of golf. It's a documentary. It's about 45 minutes long. It's told by African-American caddies turned players. Uh, who, you know, despite Jim Crow laws and, you know, the lasting effects of racism, they built a rich and vibrant golf culture on a historic municipal course. And uh, just watch the first minute of it. Uh, it will pull you right in. And it's a fascinating, fascinating story. The outfits are incredible. Uh, we're going to probably have to get Neil dressed up like some of these guys uh, from the, the outfits from the 60s and 50s in some future bet related uh, content in the future. The course, it's about uh, the Asheville Municipal Course. It's an old Donald Ross layout. It's fascinating. Please enjoy that. Again, that's at CallawayGolf.com slash Muni. And again, head to Callaway Golf's Instagram. They are doing a giveaway of a sick uh, staff bag here for Masters Week. Again, that's on the Callaway Golf Instagram. And then head to CallawayGolf.com slash Muni. Without any further delay, here's our interview with Wright Thompson. All right, our coverage has spanned yardage books. It's gotten into picks. It's gotten into you know everything that's that's going on uh, in the current state of golf. But man, I want to talk about some of your experiences at Augusta. First of all, just kind of setting the, the scene for the listeners: how long you've been going there, what your role is, and then we can get into kind of some of those specifics. Well, I've been going there for God almost twenty years now. My well, my first Masters was uh, Weir. What year was that? 2003. So yeah, I've been going for 17 years. You know, it's interesting. By the time this airs, I will know whether I will be there this time. I, uh, you still I don't know. A, I have a baby that is due November 21st. Oh, come on. <laughs> so I am, uh, I'm trying to figure it out. I look, I have, uh, you know, to How do you not know to plan a baby around a potential reschedule of the Masters due to a global pandemic? How did you not see that coming? It, it was it was obviously a rookie move. <laughs> uh, I, I was sweating it out too. I got married uh, like a week and a half ago, and when they were rescheduling for the fall, I was like, I know, I know it's going to follow. I know it's going to follow on my wedding weekend. And I, I mean, you know what pain in the ass it would be to cancel a wedding? Duh. I I had the thought. I don't think I would have gotten away with canceling the wedding and whatnot. But the, the, the thing I kept thinking about was all those poor pastors who scheduled their vasectomy for April. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can reschedule those. I'm not too worried about those guys. But yeah, that, I, I every that's time how you the end Masters up with a third college fund. Yes, 
Uh, every time the Masters rolls around, I've always viewed it as, you know, it's it's one of the most covered sports event of the year. Every outlet rolls out their top guys. We're always looking to do kind of some kind of fresh new angle on Augusta, and I, I find that very challenging. And, and I want to know, for you as a writer and for somebody that's been going back for 17 years now, do you feel pressure to find a new angle in any way? How do you keep coming up with uh, with different things to cover? Well, the beauty of it is it is incredibly covered, but it also isn't. Because, I mean, the golf course is full of tiny little details and the club is full of tiny little details that people love. And it's just, you know, it's one of those things that it's so hard to get into that what you're really doing is you're a vicarious tour guide or an ombudsman and you just take people around. Like, you know, I love that there's one of America's great wine cellars underneath that clubhouse. I love that they have durkies, which is if you're from the South, like my grandmother wouldn't imagine eating a sandwich without durkies on it. And that's one of those sort of like old school Southern ladies who lunch and golf club things that's fading. But I love how they have durkies on the table in the grill room. I mean, there's always some new thing if you're paying attention. I mean, like, you know, I was eating lunch in the clubhouse one year and Cause that's, it's the coolest thing in the world. You're sitting up there and, you know, we ordered our sandwiches and we ordered peach cobbler and then the mater d' and his tuxedo comes over and he's really apologetic, but he's like, I'm so sorry, gentlemen. I believe the dessert's going to have to be to go. Mr. Nicholas needs this table. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're out. <laughs> we understand there's a food chain. We're not idiots. Like, you know, I, I went to. I took high school biology. I understand he eats us. That's how that works. We don't really need that peach cobbler. Thank you so much. So, <laughs> if if you're just paying attention, it you'll always find things you didn't know. Hmm. Do you feel like you're walking on eggshells when you're there, and has that evolved at all over time? You know, I don't. I mean, this is it's just a golf course. Hmm. You know, yeah. Like it's not. It's just a golf course. And the rules aren't super draconian. I mean, the rules are just mind your manners. You know, I mean, the stuff you get in trouble for there is stuff you would get in trouble with your mother for. Yeah. Don't be an asshole. You know, so I don't <laughs> really, I don't feel like I'm walking on eggshells. I mean, you know, you learn, you see the same people, you know, nothing ever changes. It's very weird. You show up and the same security guards work the same station. Now, there's the same woman who's always sitting in the chair by the little rope she can pull up right there by the pro shop when you're walking up the hill from the scoreboard up to sort of the big truck in the clubhouse. You know, like they have the there's the caddy shack and then there's the pro shop and then there's the locker room and then the 19th hole and then the grill room and then the clubhouse. And like the same woman is sitting there and has been for 17 years. And so like. As opposed to feeling like you're walking on eggshells, it feels oddly comforting. Hmm. Well, what is it like to cover then from a, a media perspective? You work for ESPN. ESPN has a media partnership along with CBS, with Augusta National and the Masters. Do you feel, I guess, any, I don't know if obligation is the right word, or, or what's it like to kind of, uh, or do you feel any pressure in any way to present Augusta in a certain way, or do you ever get anxious about something that you may have said about Augusta or any, any of kind of those limitations that get put on you in any way. It's interesting. I mean, 
sort of you can say whatever you want on Sports Center, but if it's going on the broadcast, somebody in a green jacket is vetting it. Hmm. I mean, that's anything that, anything that's appearing in that broadcast is 100% vetted. So it's interesting sometimes when you think that members don't understand why people love their tournament or their course. You know, I mean, like that is sometimes interesting when you have something that you think is very positive and they don't get it. You're like, you don't, you know, there still obviously remains a disconnect. But in terms of like what you put on Sports Center, no. I mean, I wore a Muddy Waters t shirt on air there last year, the year before. Like, it's not like school marms are running around. Like, it doesn't feel like that. It's a place of sort of joy and relaxation when you're there. Like, they do a very good job of that. So, like, I don't ever feel, you know, I mean, the members I know have, you know, great senses of humor about it. And so, like, I don't know. I mean, you know, to answer your question, if it's on the broadcast, someone in a green jacket is vetting it. But outside of that, I don't, I think everybody rolls with it pretty good. Well, what is what is your relationship with the game of golf? Because I, I hear and read, and this reverence that you have for Augusta is is so strong. And I I, I guess what I don't know the answer to is where that comes from. Why it why it is so nostalgic? I know we can talk some about your your dad on the back half, but what what is it about Augusta or or, or you know that makes you don't I you you don't fake this stuff, right? Like you you really do have no, this, this reverence is, no, for I it. I wish yeah, it'd be so much easier if I did because <laughs> you know like. When I get off the phone with you, I'm going to sit down and start writing the stuff that will air during and around this year's broadcast and during that college game day. And so, you know, I've been struggling with it because I've written so many things about it and it has to feel real and authentic to me or I just I'm bad at and I feel like people can tell. And so, no, this is 100 percent. Real for me, it's my dad loved it a lot. And so, you know, it's interesting I think everyone has their own personal Augusta. I mean, I have conversations with people all the time. Like how, you know, how do you reckon with the fact that you have this nostalgia for this place that is also can be really messed up? You know, there, there are a lot of things that are ugly about the club. And so my answer is always, I mean, it is very much an Augusta national of the mind for me. I mean, it is very, the masters, it's very tied into those memories of, watching with my dad. And also I feel like I have taken all of my regrets and sort of things, my regrets over things that I didn't get to do with him and he didn't get to do with me and things that, you know, that he's missed out on. And I have put those in a master's size box, do you know? And so like some of it is clearly that, that like he wanted to go to this thing and if he'd have lived 18 more months, I was working at ESPN and we could do that. And so like, I think a lot of it for me is tied up in, in regret. Uh, and the masters is always around his birthday. Jack won the 1986 masters on my father's 40th birthday. And so like all of those things are very tied in together for me. From what I understand, you're not the biggest golfer yourself, but oh, I, I don't know. I'm no, I'm not a golfer at all. I mean, it is, an but insult. you've played Augusta. I have played Augusta and I've also, I love this. The last three of the last five golf courses I've played were Augusta national, St. Andrews and Carnoustie. <laughs> Why go anywhere else? If you're going to do that? No, I don't play golf. Like I'm, 
I went out, I got them to let me on Cornusti uh, one morning before it opened, and I just played the Vandeville Hall over and over and over again. <laughs> How'd you do? Oh, I beat his ass once. <laughs> and I don't even play fucking golf. Really. I mean, I got clubs every now and then. I was out on Defusky uh, Island doing a story years ago, and I went and played with some borrowed clubs, and I just had a – it was a miracle day. Like, I don't know what the deal was. Like, I was, you know, like, I had an actual legit par. And I just was like, well, this is it. Clearly the thing that has been standing between me and golf greatness is this set of clubs. And they were like some sort of King Cobra offset. I don't know what they were. I went out and bought that set immediately. And it's it's sitting in my house. Uh, I've used it twice. But, like, I really thought that I'd unlock the secret. Uh, well, so you kind of touched on something there that I think, you know, even if you're not a big golf fan, you can be a huge Masters fan. Yeah, and that's interesting. I, I, I want to know, I'm just on the opposite end of the spectrum of being obviously a huge golf nerd. And so I, I feel like I honestly have lost perspective on what it's like to just pop in to watch golf maybe once a, once a year. And I'm not saying that's what, exactly what you do, but I think you can help speak to like a, a larger sports fan that, you know, what it is about the Masters that separates it from the rest of the golf calendar and makes it such so must-watch. It's interesting because I am – I mean, I understand that the following opinion is very singular, but to me there's the Masters and the British Open, the Open Championship, and then the U.S. Open is a distant third, and the PGA just doesn't even exist to me. <laughs> like the idea that like I always feel like when you're one major is the PGA you just lawyered it you know like you didn't really win a major. I had a major technically you didn't really win a major you know what I mean not really <laughs> like I understand if you've won a bunch of the other ones you can count it to jack your score up but if that's your one you know it's sort of like you won a Super Bowl but it was a strike year but <laughs> but you know so for me the Masters is very very tied to growing up and my dad watching it uh and then the open championship i love i love that scotland thing man like st andrews is one of my favorite places in the world i like that course as much or more than augusta national you know i got somebody uh i got this admiral retired admiral in the royal navy sort of a friend of a friend to take me to lunch one day at the royal and ancient and we went and they had this tiny little pro shop in there and afterwards he was going to get something and I was going to, I was like, I'm gonna go get something too. They wouldn't sell me anything that you could wear because only members can buy things you can wear. Cause you're ripping their logo, like the club's logo, not the, you know, not the, the public thing. And the Admiral was with, and I sort of looked at him like, are you going to buy this shit for me? Like, what the fuck? And he was like, no, I feel like this is right and proper. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Uh, but I like all that old Scotland thing. So those two tournaments to me, I watch the Open Championship every year. I get up. I watch it live. Like, I love that yellow scoreboard. I mean, so I have very similar feelings about those two sporting events that I don't have for other golf events. And you're well known for, you know, you really, I feel like you do get people fired up for the Masters. You get your video essays kind of lead in a lot of the a lot of the shows and whatnot, and uh, everyone recognizes that voice that comes on. It, what's it like writing those? How much easier is that, or is it easier uh, than a than a big story is to write? And, and how do you come up with new ones every year? 
they're they're well that's interesting i mean that, technically they're a lot easier just cuz you know they're very they just they don't take long i mean it's hard to feel like one you don't want to repeat yourself but two you don't want to end up being so concerned about not repeating yourself that you become obtuse and miss the thing that makes it powerful to begin with which is we are you know we are reenacting this ritual and so some of it is ritual so you don't want to get too far away from that i mean that's a cop out answer a little but it you know that's that's the truth is that you know you you want it to be different but not so different that you're reinventing the wheel and 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 losing the plot yeah i understand yeah yeah so do you need like do you work with someone or a group of people that are are like if you're writing something and like you got to have kind of the footage to match it right so it's got to have the music it's got to have the pace and like i know it's a it's a symphony and it doesn't all there's not an answer like a true sequence but how does that all come together you know as a group all right well the dirty secret of this is i've done a lot of essays and have gotten a lot of positive feedback on them the real secret is there's a guy named tim horgan who has a company named bluefoot entertainment in west hartford connecticut that does most of the high-end stuff like that that espn does for a lot of different things and i've been working with tim for 15 years and tim and i are very close you know me and tim and a cameraman would go to scotland and you know all those open when we used to have the open championship it would literally be they would be out shooting sunrise i would be on a computer at the hotel figuring out what we were going to do that day and then we would go do it and so these things are very very collaborative i mean he was just i was supposed to be in augusta two days ago on uh the first and the second and my wife's doctor was like this baby could be coming any day down and so i i had to bail on that trip they were just there flying drone they were the only people on the golf course so they were just there shooting stuff that i'm going to go in and write to the moment we get off the phone so sometimes i Sometimes I write things and they edit them. And then sometimes, you know, like this, he said, the drone footage is so amazing that I was like, can you just pick me, you know, 30 and 45 second sequences of drone shots that you really like and just let me write to those. So like it works both ways. I mean, sometimes it's, I write something and they create it. And sometimes it's, you know, it's, let me write to video. And like, you know, when we're, when we're traveling around together, it's happening in real time. We have made it. We have finally made it. It is Masters Week. This Sunday is honestly going to be a Sunday like no other. Uh, very rarely, almost, I would have to say almost never, if not never, this weekend's major golf tournament, uh, which we all know the name of, uh, lining up with both professional and collegiate football there is going to be no shortage of action, so head to the DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Uh, they are going to put you in the center of the action with many different ways uh, to get involved with all the all the sporting events going on around the world. So if you haven't tried the app yet, head there now. You do not want to miss this. They are ensuring, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That means you bet they cover you with risk-free Sunday betting on all of Sunday's action. Again, up to $100. I can't wait to see the odds that are going to come out tomorrow. They've only got the uh, the favorites, you know, the actual outright winners right now. Bryson is, of course, favored to win. Uh, I cannot wait to see what happens. So on top of these great sign-up offers, DraftKings has special promotions and odds, bo- odds boosts 
every day of this year's tournament in Augusta, Georgia. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code NOU when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is, again, insuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right. You bet, and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code NLU during sign-up for a limited time only. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Let's get back to Wright Thompson. What to, I know we've, we've probably touched on a couple a little bit of this, just talking about the atmosphere and the vibe of Augusta, but I, I have a question down that just is, what is, what is myth about Augusta and what is real? For somebody that's been going there as long as you long as you have do you hear anything about it that you just want to correct people immediately and then what's something that you know you hear people say and that actually ends up being perfectly true i mean a lot of times you do see people who are so pumped to have gotten this ticket that they do it wrong i mean you and you understand why i mean i probably would too but like you know there's that it's Tuesday. It must be Belgium thing where, you know, you want to, you're going to Europe and you want to go to so many places you don't ever actually see anywhere. And like, I just encourage people to find a spot and just stay there. And, you know, you, you can walk around and go get beers and sandwiches and stuff, but like the real joy of, if you want to experience Augusta at its best and also see what the ritual is like to people who have been doing it for generations, get in, go park your chair somewhere. You know, there are a couple of great places and just be in this community of people. Like that's my favorite thing. I mean, I took my wife a couple of years ago and had an off day and I just went and parked our chairs. We immediately went, uh, you know, right out to Amen corner and parked our chairs there and, you know, so you could see 11 approach, 11 green, 12 T, 12 green, 13 T. That's a lot of shot to see. And we just sat there and ate, you know, I bought 12 pimento cheese sandwiches and a bunch of chicken sandwiches. Got some beers and some waters and we just sat there all day. And like, you know, that's what I would encourage people to do. If you get a ticket is don't try to rush all over the course and see all the course. You know, you can see it on TV. You can only feel it there. Well, it's, it's interesting. I, other than you mentioning Jack winning the '86 Masters, and, and I've noticed this with your stuff over the years as well. I find so little. I was digging for something that you've written or something that was about the result or about the professional golf tournament that's played, about what happened, what unfolded. And I don't see any of that. And that's what's unbelievable, right, about this event is that you could just talk about it forever. And we haven't talked about one single golf shot or or anything related well, that's to that. That's the thing is that what's happening there has very little to do with golf. Right. With it, That's not true. It has very little to do with professional golf. It has everything to do with golf. Yeah. It has very little to do with the sort of global, the global sports entertainment complex. Like, I don't really care who wins, except that you would always want it to be Tiger. You know, I mean, just because, you know, I've been there for a couple of Tiger wins, and that place is batshit crazy when he's rolling around, you know. But I I will go against everything I just said, and, like, if Tiger is winning on Sunday, 
just walk the back nine with him, man. It's a religious experience and not because of him, just because of this communal energy that's building. It's, it's something else. A Phil win is sort of like that too. Well, what I was wanted to, always wanted to ask, and I can never get a clear picture on this because you know we we've never really tried to get credentials or anything for it because I, I feel like it's just hard to do what we do from on site there at Augusta. And from what I've heard, it's even if you have a credential, it's not as not super easy to see a lot of golf. How no? How you do can't you get inside the ropes? I was going to say, how do you follow Tiger on the back nine of a of a of a Masters win? Well, the trick is well, first of all, there used to be a media bleacher at Amen Corner, media and members. And that's gone now, but that was the greatest trick in sports because you just, I would go out there on Sunday and wait and pick up the leaders. And it's like, that's where I saw the weirdest thing I've ever seen, which is I saw a big time Hollywood agent giving Les Moonves a back rub. <laughs> Swear to God, sitting three feet from me. <laughs> Uh, and you can't take pictures. That's a th- you can't you can't no, have anything to like, document that. So anyway, I uh, that was really good. The uh, and then there's a bleacher at 18, a media bleacher that's still there that you need to. So usually, what I would do if Tiger was winning and it was a coronation, right, and you wanted to follow it, you would go pick him up at nine green, and then you just sort of at least what I do is. I then go, I would then skip 10 and skip 11 T and cause you can walk straight across one, straight across nine up around what's that 15 green. There's a way to go straight to amen corner from the clubhouse. So I would go there and I would pick them up and I would watch. So I would watch 11 approach 11 green, 12 T 12 green, 13 T I would immediately go up to 13 green and then I would skip 14 and go to 15 green and then watch 16. And then I would skip 17 unless he's winning. There's a great moment to get a scene if you're writing because the sort of closest the winner is going to interact with people is going from 17 green to 18 T because there's just a shoot. And what they do is the, the, the marshals or whatever they call them have ropes and they just sort of build a tunnel where there wasn't one. So they sort of clear fans out so the players can walk. So, like, if you're a kid and you want to try to get Phil to give you a golf ball, that's your best shot. Like, that that right there. If you just sort of look for where the guys are holding the ropes, you can sort of see in the sea of people where the tunnel's going to be. And you can just stand on this spot. And you're in a huge crowd of people. And then all of a sudden you're against a rope. So I've done that a lot. And then you, and then I skip 18T and rush up and try to get a seat in the bleachers. But if you're just a fan, you want to skip tee shots and move to greens. Yeah. Well, I, I want to kind of detour a bit from Augusta. Uh, and you, you're talking about Tiger there, and I know you you wrote what is the the maybe the seminal piece on uh, on Tiger, at least the, all the kind of things he's been through in his life since his dad died. Uh, you wrote this in 2016. It was 10 years after his dad had died. And uh, as as Tron and Randy touched on you, that we ended up calling our office the the kill house thanks to the, <laughs> thanks to that article. And uh, it, 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 I guess for me, I'd heard so many rumors, military rumors, you know, training injury rumors from Tiger, and I don't know if I'd ever 
really seen it documented with names and pen to paper and, and kind of really tracing the steps of how many times he visited, what he did and all that. And reading that just kind of really painted the picture for for what you know life was like for Tiger. And it, it's very interesting to reread now, which I did last night, four years later, four and a half years later, where he's back and has has won the Masters because it the t- the it's tone so of it at the, yeah the tone of it at the time is that and Michael Jordan even has a quote in there that I I'm, I'm not sure if that's one you got directly or not but he says the thing is I love him so much and I can't I can't tell him you're not going to be great again and I'm like whoa this is this is a a very different read four years later but to, sorry long winded way of saying what did you know going into starting that story and, and what kind of how did it end up varying from what you were uh, what you were expecting? I didn't know anything, and I wasn't expecting anything, which is I think probably why it worked. I just was like, I need to start calling people. I mean, I, I, I mean, this sounds oversimplistic, but basically, I just tried to call every human being he ever interacted with in those ten years. And the Navy SEAL thing was interesting. I, I still talk to some of those guys. I was texting with one two days ago. It's interesting that like once one of them decided that they were talking then everyone was talking. And so, you know, they took a long time to crack, but once you did just a number of people who had hilarious stories and like, I've gotten hilarious stories after the fact, like after the story ran, some of the seals who I hadn't found reached out to me. Do you mind for the listeners, at least revisit it's impossible. It's like a 14,000 word story or something like that. It's impossible to recap it completely, but kind of just at least telling the story of, uh, you know, that I, or at least what I consider the main crux of the story, which was after his dad passing passing away, he really, you know, looked quite seriously into becoming a Navy SEAL. He really and, wanted to. Yeah. And, and to the point that, like, he was running around Isleworth in combat boots and long pants, which is, you know, you have to do – there's a sort of unofficial thing, number of – pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, and a timed mile in combat boots that to even sort of be considered to get into the buds, which is the uh, SEAL selection process and, and weeding out process and then training program. And, I mean, he was doing that. I mean, that, that was not – that was something that was happening, and they were friends of his who really thought that he wanted to join the Navy. You know, it's interesting that seeing – I sort of feel like the Jack catching Jack obsession is a media thing, but I feel like I learned enough about Tiger Woods to know in some ways, I bet last year's Matt, was it last year? Good Lord. It seems like 10 years ago. (laughs) Was it last year's masters really meant the world to him? You know, people don't realize his kids had never seen him beat Tiger Woods. One was an infant and the other one wasn't born the last time he'd won a major. You know, they heard all these stories. You know, he talks about his kids thought he was a YouTube golfer. Yeah. And so in some ways, I'm just so happy for him. I'm happy for him for a million reasons. But one of them is that his kids don't have to sort of spend their whole lives trying to get to know Tiger Woods. The most important part of his father's life would have forever been a mystery to them. It would be a a thing they learned about but never felt. And so... For him to get to do that and for them to see him be Tiger fucking Woods, that's an incredible gift. And, I mean, I don't know how many majors he has now. 14, 15? 15 now, yeah. And I just don't think it matters. Like, catch Jack, don't catch Jack. His journey is incredibly singular. You know, he's like LeBron James in that he was burdened with these incredible expectations 
And yet they didn't break him. They bent him. They bent the shit out of him. I think he would tell you that. But like, there is something, there was something I cried watching that last year. I was on an airplane watching it and the airplane had the TV, thank God. And I just was really, really emotional because I sort of felt like I understood what it meant. And look, the guy did some shitty things. And like, if you're his wife, I understand being pissed at him. But I mean, my God, he paid a public cost. And so I, I was really, really happy for him. Yeah. Well, what were some of the you said you touched on that you still are hearing funny stories trickle in, but either you know stories that you've heard since you've wrote it, or the ones your some of your favorite stories uh, that made it into the story. If you could relay uh, relay some of those, oh, for well, the I mean, <laughs> secure the tennis you know, ball is so great to me. It's it, you know uh, he he likes to talk in military lingo. Copy that. You know uh, he uh, his dog ran off with a tennis ball at a marina one time, and he called down there and asked him if they could secure the tennis ball. <laughs> so good you know one of the things they do in the kill house is they you're presented with scenarios where they're hostages they're hostage takers there are civilians and you can only kill the right people and they, they just the seals love to laugh at how tiger kept uh shooting photographers <laughs> which i thought was perfect like freud's a motherfucker i also love the part where they they you know he comes in and they they said they light him up his, his his eyes lit up like a deer in headlights and they were lighting him up with you know paintball basically like paintball guns uh, but how he wasn't re- wasn't ready for some of the attacks that came on him. No, I mean, no, these are serious people, and all that stuff is hilarious. I mean, I what should have been one of the main takeaways of the story that, like, I don't think was was you do not want to fight Tiger Woods. Like Tiger Woods will kick your ass. Like I mean, you know, that is a bad bad idea. And you you also just think like. I mean, and this is sort of combining the two threads of this conversation, but watching Tiger Woods win a golf tournament is very different than watching one of these other guys win a golf tournament. And I don't just mean, I mean, the numbers bear that out for sure, but it's also just like, it's a difference between the Champions League and an MLS game, just in terms of the energy. And that's for all sports fans. That's not just golf fans, you know? I mean... No, it's just a different thing. Like, I don't... Some of these guys... So the, I saw a leaderboard for the event that was last weekend. It came up on, like I saw it on ESPN. I didn't know a single one of those names. It is weird to have the Masters in the fall when it's such a weird kind of silly season time. And now it's like everyone's usually trying to peak around this time in the spring. And now it's like very much as close to off season as it gets in golf. And this the biggest event of the year is coming up in a, in a weird, weird spot on the calendar. It's very hard to kind of process. Uh, you know, process. Is, is there somebody who's going to peak? Is there someone that this is like a cosmic gift for? Is there some golfer who's going to win the Masters because of how all of this turned out? Uh, I mean, in theory, a lot of people are thinking Bryson because if it's slow, if it's soft, if it's slow and, and kind of some golf courses in this general area can get that way in the fall. If it rains, there's a little bit of rain in the forecast, I think, then that's going to give advantage to guys that hit it longer. And Bryson has been doing nothing but hit drivers for the past like 28 days or something like that to prepare for this. So, What's with the weird obsession about – I mean, it seems like he passed like – he took like three science classes, and now we talk about him like he's Albert Einstein. Well, it, it, at least in my opinion, it's it's one of the most it's the story of the year in golf. It really is, and that 
this guy has formulated a golf swing that is so different and, and a playing style that is very different than anyone else on the tour. And it's like the con- the most common thing, you know, one of the biggest like warnings in golf is about chasing distance and how it's for most, you know, a lot of great players have lost their game trying to get five extra yards. And here's a guy who has a swing that's different and is kind of, it turns out, built to be able to add distance like this, just pure muscle, speed drills, all this, and drastically improve his game. And now kind of exposing the game for like, this is the way it should be played. If you're, you know, if you can do this, you should do it. And what he did at the U.S. Open just kind of opened a lot of people's eyes to say like, whoa, this is really translating to some major championship golf courses. And he could hit some shots in this tournament. If the winds are right, temperatures right, conditions right, etc., he could do some things that really are going to be jarring. I'm, I'm, some of the corners he's going to be cutting and some of the, the yardages he's going to have in, it's going to look a lot like 97 Masters. I love it when people do that to a golf course because it's like they're, they're, there's something really cosmically hilarious about the pride of man. You think you can keep, you know, like I, I love it when people just annihilate a golf course. I mean, I'm one of those like, I didn't tune in to watch the best players in the world make bogey. I, I see where you're coming from here. I do. I, I think uh, I, I am going to be... the U.S. Open. U.S. Open, I'd rather like, <laughs> just punch me in the face than make me watch four rounds of that bullshit. Because <laughs> I'm just like, why, like, why do I want to see the best people in the world at something struggle as opposed to see them in the full expression of this? Like, I just don't get it. I mean, I'm not a golf guy, but I'm just like, I just feel like it's... Old rich dudes masturbate. <laughs> I what I don't like is homogenization of the game. You know, with, with a lot, and I think it's trending that way. A lot, there's a lot of similar playing styles are kind of rising to the top of the game, and it, and a lot of that golf is not interesting. You know, I mean, John Rahm is an incredible player. Is it that interesting to watch him play golf? I don't think so. Is it interesting to watch Bryson succeed or fail? Is it interesting to watch? Absolutely. Oh my God! It's it's the it's the story heading into the Masters where Tiger Woods is defending. Like it's incredible what he's done in terms of excitement, and it's just sparked this whole new debate again. Or it's 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 taken the debate to a whole new level of you know should this be allowed in the game or are we you know truly blowing by you know sacred sites like Augusta are having to you know move roads to be able to accommodate these players so it's a it's a complicated complicated debate that uh that you know we couldn't solve in 10 hours i don't think can't they just this is really dumb and i apologize <laughs> this is, can't they just limit distance with a golf ball and oh, spending all that money thank you we do a course thank you i'm so glad you came to that conclusion that's what we've a lot of but why golf, wouldn't that isn't that just cheaper than moving land so much cheaper the and it's a again very complicated but the answer is you know equipment companies are standing by to be you know ready to sue uh the usga or the governing bodies if that is the case because of how much r&d they've put into you know technology gains and all this stuff so it's really it, it, the answer is like yeah i'm with you do we change the, but, the equipment but, but or change just, yeah yeah but that's obviously they're obviously not that's saber rattling because if the equipment companies broke the usga and the royal and ancient then they would be designing equipment they'd be designing equipment for something that didn't exist they wouldn't do that that's insane listen make this your next topic next big story that you need to dive into because i feel like 
yeah, you as a sports fan rolling up your sleeves, diving into this one with a, a fresh perspective. Um, you know, it's, it's very divisive. It's like a lot of golf purists just think it's, it's, you know, are very much on the, on the side of like, look at the ball just shouldn't go that far. And it, it's okay. A golf is still going to be challenging. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great to watch on TV. It just doesn't, you don't need to bypass 300 plus yards of a hole, uh, on, on almost every hole. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but it was interesting. I spent, I spent a day with Nicholas while he was designing a golf course down in Anguilla, I think. And it was interesting to watch them do that. And because everything was around what they call the turn point, a hole was designed around where the tee shot landed and the second shot was coming from. And hearing them describe the decisions they wanted golfers to have to make made me one, one of the reasons I'm like, oh, I just need to never pick up golf clubs again because the fun part of golf is being able to hit it consistently enough to make those decisions. I just realized I'm never going to be good enough to be able to make those decisions. I'm just worried about getting the ball in the air. And so to hear someone talk about designing a golf course to make people decide whether to take risk and, or make decisions, I just realized that I wasn't, I've never, I've never actually played golf. I just hit a white ball. <laughs> well, that's part of the issue there is the gap between someone like yourself in, in that conversation and the top level keeps getting wider and wider. And the, the, the top guys are able to distance themselves so much because the technology gains benefit them so much more than it would benefit someone like you that it's, it's, it's becoming close to impossible to design a golf course that's going to fit both your game and, you know, a, a top player or even a, a low handicap player. You know, it's just that gap keeps widening. And that's where I, I, I think a lot of people have concern with where things are trending in the game. So oh, that's interesting because yeah. you can't. What you're saying is there need to be three different golf courses. Yeah, or they just limit the equipment for the pros is what I would say. I mean, you know, if you go play tennis, you know, it, it's not like the get. That might be a bad analogy. I'm not a good. I'm not a good tennis guy. But, but also, if I go, if you and I go throw the football in my yard, I'm not under the illusion that I'm Tom Brady. Right. Also, the football that I would buy isn't the one that Tom Brady is going to buy into play. <laughs> That's the thing too. Is be, there's a a, a I. I don't even think people actually believe this. I think it's just a convenient argument that, you know, so many people say like, I just want to play. You have to play the equipment the pros play. Like that's the beauty of the game. We play the exact same clubs that they play. I'm like, guys, you don't like, they have such specialized equipment. Yeah. No, every one of those is bespoke. Every club in that bag is made specifically for them. Yeah. And, and like I said, there, you know, if you, if you swing at a certain speed, you are getting benefits of technology, but if you're not, all that, yeah, all that technology is just widening. The gap is just widening and widening and widening. That's like guys wanting an AR-15 or an M4 with the Navy SEAL combat optics. Like, what are you fucking, you rescuing a lot of hostages over there, big boy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there, are like, some, there are some layers to this we could unpack. Uh, maybe, maybe. But it, it's just it, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's psychologically it interesting. Because, it like, it's funny. A friend of mine was like, uh, the, one of the Tiger Navy SEALs is a big elk hunter. I'm like, oh, do you have all your military gear? And he's like, well, yeah, I mean, I still have all that stuff, but I don't, I don't take it elk hunting. I elk hunt with my bow, like a grown-up. <laughs> and I was just like, oh. <laughs> no, is, like, the, the whole thing is fascinating because, oh, this is, yeah, there there are many, many layers. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of people like that say things like similar to what you said, where I love when watching guys just obliterate a golf course. And, 
And I, I think that that, that joy and, and satisfaction is temporary. I think, I, I think if that happened all the time, which I think is kind of what we're seeing, just bombing driver, bombing driver, bombing driver. If you watch that on repeat, it does get monotonous at times. Whereas the value of a great drive kind of has been lost a little bit because you see it so often. It's like, is it really great? It's kind of like what we're seeing with baseball. Like all the home run stuff is, I think, kind of boring. It's like, it, it, you know, it's become a more expected outcome and it's kind of lost that special feeling of it. But yeah, like I said, no, no, no. And it's also like the other thing you realize is that, uh, I mean, and this is now like, if you want to get real meta, this is the ultimate fallacy of every sports take because it's all bullshit on a certain level because we're all, none of us are no two people rarely are two people watching the same thing because we are all bringing our own stuff to it. And so like what I want from a master's, and what you want from a master's will never, ever be the same. And they shouldn't be. And so any opinion I have is based on the Augusta National of my mind. And it, it really is like the fallacy of all sports takes. Because everybody going into a stadium or a golf course or watching on TV, even if they can't articulate it, wants something a little bit different from that experience. They are, everyone is there chasing something that is at least in some way personal. And so – you know, people get angry when other people don't love it for the same reasons they love it. I mean, they're golf fans who are nuclear at me about the U.S. Open thing because I don't get that what I'm really watching is the best players in the world be tested. And that is the joy. You know what I mean? Like, there are people who, like, it's just interesting how all of this is so personal and no one is right. And if no one is right, then the obvious corollary is no one is wrong. The part that that bothers me about it, and I'm I'm sure I'm guilty of this at times, uh, is like when other like you you can say uh, what, what your comment you made earlier. You don't like watching the U.S. Open for four straight days. I hate the person that will try to sit there and tell you, no, you do. No, it's great. Like it's great. You don't even realize what how great it is. It's like if that's your if that's the way you feel about something. Like, who am I to tell you what you like? People do this with me with food. They're like, how do you not like this? And I'm like. I wish I could tell you, like, I, do you think I want to not like this kind of food? No, I, I can't control it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like mushrooms. I'm sorry. You're a forger. <laughs> like the, you know, it's, and it's also like none of these things line up. I love a 2-1 game where one of the pitchers on the mound is Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. Like, I like that. And I understand that on a certain level, that is the U.S. Open of baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I, intellectually, I get that. I still don't give a shit. I'm with you there. All right. Well, there's a few more things I want to cover with you before uh, before we do have to have to let you go. One, the last thing I had on the Tiger thing is I will honestly just be doing going about random bits of my life, and I will think about Tiger at the lunch table with all those guys and with six guys or whatever, and the check comes and sitting around awkwardly and not picking it up and get all of them getting separate checks. I just think. Like, I think I've got life figured out, and I think to that moment, I'm just like, what the – how does that and, happen? And here's the best part. One of those people is on TV all the time now. Really? And so I see them all the time <laughs> just on t- – you know, and I laugh because I'm like, oh, he was at the lunch. Well, and the last thing I had – I may have lied there. The last thing I actually have is how did you find out who now owns the famous Escalade? Oh, I, so the VIN number was in the police report for the Isleworth in the police report for the, when he hit the fire hydrant. So with the VIN number, I was able to find the car. Huh. Was that an easy thing to find? No, I spent a couple of days. My 
problem with these things, and I'm sure my bosses will tell you this, the obsession is real. Like, I'm not like this isn't I'm not just punching a time card. So I lost a couple of days chasing the Escalade. <laughs> for one sentence you know, in the uh, in the story. Yeah, for one sentence. And it was a parenthetical. I just I just got I got mentally stuck. And I'm sure some of your listeners are going to try to diagnose whatever psychological problem that is. But like, I, uh, I just couldn't move on until I knew. And so I was like, well, you know, I'm doing this now. Stupid Escalade. Well, the best part is that neither the guy that bought it or the guy that sold it to the guy that bought it knew that it was Tiger's no, no Escalade. Idea. <laughs> no, no idea. <laughs> That's crazy. I wonder if that thing's yeah. going to end up in a, in a museum somewhere. But No, because, yeah, no, it's, I'm sure it's been someone else has it now who doesn't know. You know, we kind of touched on it at the top, and I, I was I was planning to dig a little deeper on it, but it's kind of permeated through a lot of this interview. But you're, the piece you wrote several years back about your dad and the Masters, and I, I would definitely suggest that people do read it. But if you could at least kind of tell a bit of that story. I know you, you mentioned regretted not going there with him. And I, I, bringing that around, I was wondering what it was like for you to watch Tiger in 2019. Um, you know, you in the article you cite about talking about the the you know Augusta is for fathers and sons or fathers and children, and you you cited Tiger hugging his dad as one of the you know the the moments that everyone thinks about Augusta. And then when you see Tiger being a dad in that moment, did did all those feelings? You know, you talked about having emotion on the plane watching that. Did those feelings about your dad resurface for you in that moment? A hundred percent. And, you know, the passage of time is an interesting thing. I mean, it's interesting. Like I have this book that's coming out uh, called Happy Land, and it is it is the spiritual child of that story. I mean, they are used a lot of that story in one part of the book and just sort of ultimately didn't. But like all of the questions the book explores about Julian Van Winkle and his father and grandfather and me and my father and grandfather are questions that were posed in my life, both by writing that story and by the incredible re reaction to it. You know, I mean, it made me realize that there were lots of people out there who were thinking about these things, about their fathers and their children in the same way that I was. And, you know, when I first wrote that story, I was like, who's going to give a damn about somebody they don't know and that guy's father. And the answer is that story isn't, I've come to learn and I'm grateful for this knowledge, but that story really isn't about me and my dad. It's about the reader and their dad or the reader and their son or their daughter. You know, as I, I have a daughter now and another on the way. And so I am, I regret the way that I have framed some of these things as father son things because they're really father children things, you know? And that was, that was me being a moron. That was me writing about something that at the time I didn't have kids and I couldn't fully understand, but it's a father child thing. And you know, the, the reason I had the confidence to write this book and it, the book is really intimate and personal. And I try to grapple with, you know, my own evolving feelings about whether God exists and about what kind of father I want to be. And what of my dad I want to pass on and what is better off dying with me, the confidence to write that and to understand that I'm not telling people about my life. I'm starting a conversation with friends about theirs that all flowed from both the writing of that story and especially the reaction to it. I can't tell you 
how often I hear from people, man, about that story and how much every one of those email people stop me in airports. Hmm. And I, I can't tell you what that means to me. Well, I've read it before and I read it again last night and it got me thinking a lot. And I took it the exact same way you just said. The story is not really about your dad because I think it just invokes feelings in in people about, you know, their relationship with their parents or even with their children. And I th- I thought about it on a really macro level of just saying like there's all there's very few bucket list, true bucket list things in sports in general, not even just in golf, but in sports that are things, you know, I don't know what else would be on that on that Mount Rushmore, but like going to Fenway Park or something. I don't know. But Augusta for a golfer obviously is just like going to the Masters with my I was like, oh, I've never been to a Masters with my dad. It made me think about that. I've gotten to do a lot of cool things with him. And I thought back to my my dad and his dad, who was 85, 84 maybe at the time, they went to Augusta a few years ago together. And it was, and I hadn't thought of it through that lens of like, wow, they got to do that together. And I, I'm now I've gotten to, you know, my dad has said he plays a lot of golf, but he's like, I can still walk 36 a day. So we need to go do Scotland, you know, before I can't walk 36 holes a day. And it, that article made me start thinking like, okay, I got to do these things because you got to do them right now. Like if you're listening, you need to turn this off. Like if there's something you want to do with your, with your father or mother or with your son or daughter, and you just haven't cause fuck it. Cause life, you know, no joke. I mean, we all, you need to go do it right now. You know, I mean, I hear from people who are estranged from their fathers or sons or families. And this article, the story made them reach out. I mean, my God, if that's what this is about, that's what we're doing. I mean, that's you write all these stories so that that one story mends three relationships. You know what I mean? Like, that's the gift. That's the joy of all of this. And so. You know, I feel like the book is, I think it's the spiritual child of that story. And I hope that, you know, my wife read it and was like, you wrote Eat, Pray, Love for Dads. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, fuck, don't tell anyone else that. Jesus Christ. (laughs) You know how embarrassing that is? Like, but I mean, she's not, unfortunately, that far off. And so, uh, you know, I mean, I'm very, it's interesting you asked about that story. Because you know the book comes out, and you know by the time this airs, it will it will it'll be out. It's actually out today. There you go. Holy shit! Go to Amazon, buy it right now. Buy ten of them. Buy thirty of them. Give them to everybody you know for real. Like Wallace needs new shoes. Uh, but no, and so I've been thinking a lot about that story in the context of this book. Uh, this is my favorite interview I've done. I've been doing them nonstop. And this one isn't about the book, which means I don't have to go there. You know, like these conversations about this book have all been really emotional. So this is like, my God, can we, can we talk shit about the U.S. Open some more? <laughs> well, let's. I got a couple Wait, of things. Hey, that's not on our air, is it? What's that? No, we don't. We don't broadcast that. No, right? that's NBC. You're good. You're good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was about to say. I'm going to say, folks, what you just heard was someone committing career suicide. That's the part of the interview that gets chopped. If you don't think I would get a phone call about that, oh, thank God. It didn't even occur to me. (laughs) This is my problem. Like, I don't – I'm bad with the the notion of consequences. Uh, Well, I got a couple more questions, but since we're talking about the book, why don't you – we we had mentioned you had some stuff you wanted to give away to a potential potential listener that buys the book. Why don't Uh, we do that now? 
every year Julian Van Winkle has this event with Davis Love the Third called the Pappy Cup, and they play golf. Julian's a really good golfer. Well, he likes to think he is. So they make gear for this, and like you got to think like, look, everyone knows that no one really likes golf. Everyone just likes the gear. My friend Kevin Van Valkenburg, who I'm like, do you only wear shirts from fucking majors? We get it, man. You've been to the majors. <laughs> like, I get it. Okay, all right. Uh, you know, holy shit, you know. Been to Royal State George and Litham or whatever it's called. Okay. Uh, or wherever they're playing the, you know, whatever. So we have this gear. So I have some Pappy Cup gear that I'm going to be wearing on, you know. I, I, I got it because I'm going on TV to do a bunch of golf stuff, I think. And I'm going to rock Pappy golf gear. If you buy the book, how about this? Here's a good way to do it. Book is out today. Take a picture of the book at a bookstore or your copy and just tag me on Instagram and write me a story about, uh, tell me your funniest golf story. And the one that I think is the funniest, I'll send some of this Pappy Cup stuff to. Sweet. And like, this is like, you'll be like, people will be like, where did you get that? What's the, where, where do they send it to you? Uh, so just, it's, uh, Wright Thompson books on Instagram. Just tag me. If you're not on Instagram, send me an email, pappylandbook at gmail.com. There you go. You can get it to me, send it to these guys. They'll forward it to me, but tell me your funniest golf story and, uh, a picture of the book or a receipt or something, just so I'd know you actually bought it. And, uh, and yeah, man, we'll, we'll get you some cool gear. Sweet. Well, th- this is in my little grab bag thing of questions I got to ask you before we go, and this is this is this is the part I warned you that was coming from somebody else. But uh, he told me we're gonna we're gonna play a game. I'm gonna name a city, and you're gonna tell me where I should have dinner, or you're gonna tell the listeners where we should have dinner. Does that, okay. Does that sound like something that's up your alley? Uh, yeah, but now I'm on the spot, so I want to do good. It's I'm, tough. Uh, well, All right, let's go. Let's let's just I'll selfishly start with Jacksonville. I don't know the the place to go to to eat in Jacksonville. Waffle House. There you go. Okay. Any one in particular? No, man. They're all great. Okay. What about, let's say, if you're in Chicago, where are you going? Oh, man. See, uh, I'm going to go to, there are a couple of things you can do. One, I'm going to go to Gene and Giorgetti's. I'm going to get a big fat steak. I'm going to go see my buddy Marco, who's a bartender at the Billy Goat. And I'm going to sit there and really booze it up. I like Southside Thin Chicago Pizza. There are a couple places way down south side, like way south where you can go. Uh, I like to go to the south side and eat hot tamales, which is a real Mississippi Delta thing that, that migrated to Chicago. I'm going to go probably Girl and the Goat. I really like – God, there's so many. Oh, I'm going to go to – oh, my God, I can't think of it. It's the Italian place. It's RPM. over by the park. No, 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 no. It's super old school. It is – uh, by which park is it? You know what? I'm looking right now because <laughs> I by Chicago Italian. Oh, uh, Tofano's okay. Vernon Park. Right. You want to go to Tofano's Vernon Park? It's like you know, it's oh, I love it. It's really old school. You know, like they got dudes in AC Milan tracksuits. <laughs> uh, right, what, what else? Now I'm on a roll. Atlanta. Oh well, in Atlanta, you're gonna want to go to Bones. In Atlanta, you're going to want to go to Gun Show, which is a restaurant I really like. I like the Varsity in Atlanta. I like to go get drinks at Manuel's Tavern a lot in Atlanta. Yeah, that's what I would do in Atlanta. D.C. Oh, well, there are a lot of good places. I like Cashin's Eat Place. I like 
I really look, man. I really like Ben's Chili Bowl in D.C. Out in uh, Virginia, there's a great Chinese place that does really great Peking duck. It's really popular with Navy people. The bar in D.C. for me is uh, 100% the tune-in. I want to go to the tune-in. Man, I really, really uh, love that bar. That's a great bar. I like the bar. I always stay at the Hay Adams, so I like that. I think it's called On or Off the Record. There's a hotel bar there that's like a really great hotel bar. And then, you know, like D.C. has a really – like there's a great Ethiopian place over on U Street that my friend Eli took me to last time that I really like. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff in D.C. All right, that was the easy part. Paris. Oh, that's super easy. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, look, 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 it's called uh, Chezure. It's D-C-H-E-Z-E-U-X. And it's my favorite restaurant in the world. I love that place so much. Look, I have a I have an email I can send you of Paris because I've spent a lot of time there. I was there for like a month for the Euros. I've been there a ton for work for like long stretches of time. And so like, I can send you – I have an email that I send to people for Paris. If you want that, uh, I'm, I'm easy to find. Uh and I'll send it to you because it's like really detailed and it's also like broken down by Eredissimont and et cetera. And so, but like, you know, bucket, like last meal on earth is that place. Wow. That is an endorsement right there. So you did not disappoint there. That was, you were nervous about that, but that was, you know, that was all tip of the tongue. You didn't even have to work too hard for that one. So no, but I, you know, you want to like one, you want it, I want it to be places I really like. And two, you don't want to just sort of like name drop the famous places to be safe because you know they're good. Like, you know, so like you want it to like, anyway, that's where I'm at on that. All right, man, we are going to let you go. That went uh, predictably longer than I thought, but it was excellent, excellent stuff. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on both on the trap draw and here. It's been, uh, it's been fascinating tapping into your experience and your mind. So thanks so much for sharing it and best of luck with the book. And uh, I can't wait to see uh, how the masters unfolds this coming week. I'm pumped. I'm going to be on my couch in high def. All right, brother. Thanks again. Well, let's hope to do it again soon. Yep. Thank you. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.